0: Hello! When was the last time you went to the cinema and why did you see that particular film? Was it a review you had read online? Was it word of mouth? What role do professional film critics have in an online social media landscape? These are all questions that have fascinated me since starting the Crispy Sharp blog and wanted to share my own thoughts on films I've watched. My guest this week is Henry Barnes, who has worked at the Guardian newspaper for a number of years, mostly for its film section. So I went for a visit in the gloriously transparent offices to have a chat with him about movies. Um, Okay, so could you just explain a little bit about what you do at The Guardian and kind of how you got here?
1: Yeah, uh, I do everything at The Guardian now and I think most Guardian journalists are supposed to, in that we're supposed to embrace multimedia, which means that you used to get away with just being a writer and now you uh, do film presenting, you do uh, video editing. Podcasts, bit of review writing, bit of feature writing, interviewing, so absolutely everything, site editing. Did you start at a, as a writer? I started out wanting to be a writer and then I think you quickly get a dispute of that notion <laughs> when you realise that everyone wants to be a writer and that the valuable skill you've got is being adaptable, doing a bit of everything. So how did you start writing about film? I started out writing about music. Uh-huh. Uh, I went and did a biology degree at university. Right. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then went and did music reviews on the student newspaper Realised that was more fun than doing biology, yeah. and then worked my way slowly to getting a casual shift at the Guardian. And from there, the only people that would take my writing were at the film site and Catherine Short, our current editor, has just basically championed me throughout my career. I wouldn't be able to do this without her. and She's kind of hauled me up, nice. made me a better writer, made me a better human being. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Okay, and um, so what's like a normal
0: working week look like? Uh, and obviously you've got. I mean, obviously, but people who know, know that the Friday is film day at the Guardian or film day at most newspapers. Yeah. So what does kind of a working week look
1: like? So you have two sides of it, really. Because on the paper side, you're right, there's Thursday, which is our deadline day, and we get all the content that's going into the film and music supplement, which is published on the Friday. But then for the people like me that tend to work more on the website, there's no deadline day as such. It's just there's deadlines all the time every single day and the internet is rapacious and will never be fed apparently so you just keep going, you keep producing content. A typical day could be anything like interviewing a couple of film stars at a junket, coming back here to edit that footage, putting that up, writing a review or something before editing the site in the afternoon and then maybe doing an emergency news story if somebody dies. It's, it's really, it's unpredictable this job in, in every way. But if you say editing it for the afternoon, there must be—you yeah. can't be here twenty-four hours. We're not here twenty-four hours. It feels like that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's one of the pressures <laughs> on journalists these days: is that the hours are increasing because the internet doesn't stop. Right. So we do tend to stick to nine to five if we can, but often that creeps past or goes earlier in the morning. It's just unfortunately how we have to work, given that we're working for a global audience and, and the internet is uh, doesn't seem to be giving us any let up. Yeah.
0: So um, I sort of wondered what your opinions were on a couple of things so firstly what kind of people go to the cinema these days and does the Guardian have any like do they do demographic research are you trying to target a particular type of person what's your thoughts on on Uh, cinema
1: audiences that's an interesting question I think I think the demographic that read our our content are very similar to the ones that are still going to the cinema and that's great but it's not good for the future (laughs) In so who would you say those people were <laughs> the people that read the Guardian website at the moment tend to be in their 40s they tend to be overwhelmingly male I think about two thirds of our audience are men Wow. and they're very dedicated is to that just the film part or the whole Guardian it's the film part especially right, right. but the Guardian tends to have a larger male audience um, and it's something that we're consciously trying to address because if you think about it it's not sustainable to have an audience that is <laughs> climbing into their 50s and it's not great to have a purely male audience because yeah. it just gives you That's one awesome. world view. Um, but I would, I would tend to argue that that's probably the audience that's going to the cinema for the most part as well, at least in terms of the age bracket. like People in their 30s and 40s are people who go for regular cinema visits. I read something the other day that said something that the average cinema attendance was twice or maybe three times a year, which when you're doing this for a job, it's just shocking because yeah. you think all this stuff I'm doing is practically irrelevant to most people right. until the Oscars come around. So, More on that later. Yeah. So I guess the idea for us is to try and really broaden who's reading what we're doing. And if we can, coax people to go back and have a theatrical experience in the same way. Because it's still valuable, right? I mean, it's yeah, I mean, no, I think so. It yeah. okay. also depends on the type of content as well, right? Because if you get like a news story about, I don't know, Justin Bieber casting the new Terence Malick film or something like that. It's likely, huge. yeah, it'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that film for yeah. a start. But it's likely that the, people, the much younger people who are using Twitter and into Justin sure. Bieber are going to come and read us for that as well. But they'll leave pretty quickly as well. So. Okay, so before we get to sort about of social media and how
0: things have changed, mm. uh, and this might not be a question you'll feel entirely comfortable answering, <laughs> maybe, as soon as you're Try me. supposed <laughs> to guy. But it does a newspaper's kind of ideological uh, standpoint in any way shape its interpretation of films so for example do you celebrate art house films more than you would castigate a popcorn fodder do you do that consciously or do you do that unconsciously because you know your readership and the kind of people you employ what's your thoughts on
1: I don't think we I, I think it's a really good question because it's kind of it's asking a you to do it yourself sure. center. because I know yeah, I mean, I would say that any critic that says that they don't consider their audience when they're writing their review isn't really a good journalist because right. you're supposed to think about the reader, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that means that we consciously say this is art house, this is left wing, so it's a good film. Yeah. There are plenty of terrible art house, left wing films out. There. I think I've seen about four in the last week. Right. Um, I just, but I do think that you um, you do adapt to your audience. Um, Personally, I want a film to be enjoyable in whatever sense, and, and I want it to be worth the audience's money. And I do see film criticism particularly as something of a consumer service, if you like. Yeah. That's the only way I can kind of justify going to films and writing about them for a living, frankly. So, yeah, I don't think a right-wing popcorn film is any worse than a left-wing art house one. Okay. It's, just, it's just whether it's a good story. Because I think I... I did a sh- I was working for a short while with um, Metrodome, mm.
0: and one of the things I was doing, just basically as their kind of runner, was on a Friday I'd get all the newspapers and collate all the reviews. And it was interesting kind of getting to know certain uh, reviewers and their kind of... Proclivities. Word, <laughs> over time. So, for example, um, Alex Zane, who writes for it The Sun or The Mirror? The yeah. Sun, I think. He always liked the same kinds of films. Because obviously The Guardian as well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you... Review every film that's released per week. That's right, yeah. And other newspapers would just choose which ones they think they're all. Yeah, is. yeah.
1: I mean, there's a bias in that, right? There's a bias once you start choosing which film yeah. you're going to review. I'm glad that we review every film that we can. We, yeah, we review every film that's on general release in the mm, UK. Right. Which is which is what we should be doing, if it's out there it should be reviewed. Which is what, about 10, 12 a week? Yeah, 10, 12, it can be up to 15 sometimes, can be 7 or 8 on a slow week, but it's normally around 10 or 12. And how many films
0: would you say you
1: watch a week? And how do you watch films these days? I watch, uh, I would say, to be honest, I watch the majority of the films that I watch on either a screener link or a DVD that's sent to me. I go to about 2 or 3 maybe that are presented in the cinema in Soho. Um, I would love it if my Monday and Tuesday were just going to watch every film that was out there in a cinema. and I think it would be probably healthier for the job, but unfortunately, the internet. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I can't, I don't have time to go and watch every film. Do in you still go to the cinema for fun? Or is that, a, <laughs> that, is that sour? i tell you what, I mean, not to make it too personal, I've just had a baby boy and they do these big screen things at the Ritzy Cinema, in London, <laughs> yeah. so they are fantastic for yeah, taking yeah. your kid out and feeling like you're still part of the world. but. If I had a choice of how to spend my evening, I'd probably spend it playing video games. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Alright. What's your thoughts on how kind of reviews have changed?
0: Does it matter anymore if you have a bad review? Like, does that even affect how a film
1: performs? I think the internet has changed the definition of film criticism in that it's broadened it, frankly. And I I think we can be less strict, less traditional, less fussy about what a proper film review is. I think there is Every right for a lot of people to come across and say a tweet by somebody is a film review. It just depends on your audience and who you're directing that opinion to. I think mean, Medium has been overrated. I particularly think that would print, which God love the Guardian newspaper. I think it's a fantastic institution. It should stick around. But it's not the thing that people are reading in terms of getting Guardian journalism to people. And our job mm-hmm. is to try and find a new way for people to be reading and or looking at or listening to our reviews, and that has to adapt depending on the audience and depending on the medium. So, what do you think? let say young people, just because they're a
0: <laughs> tricky bunch. However, you define young, but how how do you think young people find out about films now these days? How do you think they choose which films to watch? How do you think they do? They, do they care about qualitative, quote unquote? Criticism of films. Yes, yeah, they do for sure. I think the way so that
1: what form does that? What do they absorb? What do they consume? I think. I mean, I would imagine, not being a young person myself, that they are far more aware than I am of what what's coming up on Twitter and, and in terms of marketing, wh- where they're being directed to adverts across different social media sites and ways of embedding marketing into their lives that we've never seen before. For example, Facebook ads and all that stuff. It's it's almost like the definitely distinction between your real life and this fake life of advertising is starting to crumble which is a good or a bad thing depending on what you think about where the internet is taking us as a society i'm kind of terrified by it particularly but yeah i'm um, excited and terrified at the same time yeah either. it is exciting it is exciting i don't i think it's it's easy to be fuddy-duddy and be like oh well this is dreadful that they have adverts on facebook that are sending these young people to see yeah. transformers 28 i mean that's the world, right? And you, you have to respond to your audience, and that's, I think, what we're trying to do. Uh, I don't know if writing a shorter review or writing a review that is more immediate for the internet, as I think most people should be doing, is less, it's less good journalism. I just think it, it's a different way of approaching a new audience. Do you think that reviews should be read before or after you see a film?
0: Because um, I only ever read reviews now after I've seen a yeah. film. Yeah. Which seems like maybe a slightly more... It's cerebral, then it's a bit pretentious. Well, fuck it, cerebral.
1: <laughs> 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 Let yourself be cerebral. Yeah. Have we got. Um, <laughs> so you know, obviously,
0: there's a kind of spoiler alert type of review that you want to read and find out about a film, and yeah. then there's also a film that'll help make the sorry a review that might help you clarify your thoughts on a film. will give a different yeah. interpretation. Do you have a preference, or do you see the Guardian as doing one or the other?
1: Well, also, when does a review start, right? Like, do these Star Wars leaks? or well, not even leaked but I guess the leaks and then the official videos that J.J. Abrahams does from the set are they sort of a review? Like are we getting a first look at the film and therefore already forming our opinion before the film's even released? We probably are yeah, no, it, if we're honest. Not, yeah. Clips, trailers you start to write your review even before you've you've been to the cinema um, I totally understand why people wouldn't want to read around a film before they've seen it I like in terms of plot I want everything to be um, kept secret before I go to the cinema yeah. At, at the same time I can see the argument for wanting to see what's going on with Star Wars having an appetite for that kind of film not being able to hold yourself back whether that ruins the actual experience of watching it it probably it p- does for me personally but for for, for, for hard fans I imagine they're just rapacious yeah I, it's interesting <laughs> when I used to I used to be a teacher so I was teaching A-levels
0: 16 17 year olds and all of them obviously is it's almost boring to even talk about this pretty, but they all love superhero films yeah. but it was fascinating to me how little they cared about the quality of the film mm-hmm. it seemed they were going to go and watch it anyway and yeah like they'd be more interested in Comic Con than the Oscars
1: Yeah. it
0: just seems like yeah that kind of hungriness for I don't know I'm going to right with the question but it's, <laughs> yeah I just think that young people just seem to love that kind of fandom more than maybe the two hours they spend or two Three hours you spend in the cinema. That's not even the most important part of the enjoyment of the film. It's more the kind of month of build-up is kind of as pleasurable.
1: Yeah, you can see it that way. I would argue in a way that a great film stays with you. And these films are films that are staying with you even before you've seen them. Which is bizarre, right? It's kind of Terry (laughs) Gilliam-esque surrealism. But I kind of like that. I think the important thing is there's passion there. I, and I think yeah, the, the yeah, counter-argument think. to that is that these are films that get funded above and beyond thing, other things that might be more valuable in terms of narrative or in terms of plot or in terms of educating people. So I'm not saying that every film should be a superhero film, but I don't think you can discount the passion that, that they arise. I think that it's incredibly important, not just on a commercial level, but on a where our society's going.
0: So let's talk about film events then, right? Oscars sure. being just one of them. What do you think are... it's inter- a just Professionally, from your what, what you do, mm-hmm. what are the biggest film events and festivals to cover
1: throughout the year? Which ones are kind of the most important? I mean, Cannes is still up there. Can in terms of our audience, the art house audience, and even to a degree the kind of middling picture house style audience, Cannes is very, very important. So, how do you cover Cannes? What's your
0: Strategy for the coverage—is it just reviews? Is it kind of news? Is it kind of, kind of gossip element? So it's kind of a bit of everything, really. I mean, it,
1: again, it's 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 the internet, so we do it all. Um, we take four or five of us out there, and we'll all do reviews. We'll all do little bits of video uh, presenting and, and reviewing, and then tweeting while we're there. Can's um, tricky because it's very exclusive. You don't get members of the public going into screenings. It's just delegates and the press, and it's difficult to write about because you're very aware that you're someone in the south of France enjoying a nice sunny day and a decent yeah. movie whereas the people back at home won't be seeing these films for possibly ever ever, possibly ever or best part of 9 or 10 months so you are, you're trying to feed an audience that has no idea what they're eating <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean It's <laughs> how do you write a review
0: for a film like that without spoiling it? Um, if, you, you, if, you, if, you, if someone yeah. has got to wait 9 months before they see it mm. If, I mean if you, see, if you really review on a Friday of a film and you go and see it that weekend box office weekend yeah. then you know, it's in your mind and you kind of you know you want to be part of the I don't know excitement of the event but if, I, I've always thought it's strange if you cover too many films it can you kind of give away too many plots or whatever
1: Yeah, I don't know how do you uh, I think you're just very careful with plot, in particular, not to, not to reveal too much. I've got friends who refuse, like you, refuse to read any reviews from festivals for yeah. head coverage, just because there's no point for them. Like personally, it means nothing to them that a few select group of people have seen these films, uh, and and as you said, might not ever see them in the general public. I, yeah. I can see the value of that argument <clears> for sure. I think, I think, in broader scale film festivals. I mean. It, in the far future film festivals are on the way out, right? There's no way that you can justify shipping loads of journalists over to see your movie at one screening when you have a distribution platform now that can provide for everybody whenever they want it at any point. I just think the idea of sitting people in a dark room just because they've got this slightly heightened level of criticism that (laughs) other people aren't privileged to is elitist in a way, and it is probably for the chopping block eventually. It's very <laughs> interesting because I th-
0: sort of feel the opposite in a way. Yeah, like in the sense, in terms of festivals where the public are very much welcome. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's kind of the only way to get people to watch kind of more adventurous. I would agree. I, th- I think you're movies. right. I think there's a
1: distinction bet- to be made between Can and between everywhere else. Unfortunately, Can does have this, uh, you know, heightened sense of privilege Pump. about it. pomp exactly that, <laughs> which is vaguely detestable <laughs> in right. a way but not not that it's not an amazing festival it, it truly is well I still and kind the of in, to brilliant. I would love go I would love to go but I don't know why that's my point I mean it's magical right it is magical It is. it has the cream of artistic filmmaking talent there you've got Hollywood stars there there's glamour sure. there's a sense that you are there and you are Treated as somebody special, which is intoxicating <laughs> just for anyone. You're in the bubble. Just because you're there, you've got a pass. You know, you, it's not like that scene in Wayne's World where they're waving the pass <laughs> at the <laughs> yeah. security guard. You know, it's just cool, it's just cool. Yeah. You feel like that, and and it is intoxicating, and it and it, it does make you feel very, very privileged. So but would, at the same time, I would agree with you that that other festivals do a much better job at opening these films are up to an audience that might not have seen them before. And again, when you have a situation like that, people are going to be tweeting about it, they're going to say, sure. I don't know, like Frank, for example, was a big hit after the festival circuit because so many people saw it at festivals, really enjoyed it, tweeted about it, talked about it, they did good marketing on it, and then it did fairly well at the box office as a result. And it's a great movie, and yeah. it deserves to get that wider audience, which it wouldn't have got without a festival slot.
0: Are there any other special
1: events that you know you need to cover in a,
0: in a particular way? yeah. And you feel have enough of interest to kind of have these kind of special, I don't know, maybe a pull-out supplement on. <laughs> well, what's your, what other kind of film events are, do you think are important to uh, the public, not just to the film cinephile people, yeah. but the actual
1: wider public? You've, or, meant, you've mentioned it already, but Comic Con is right. is a behemoth, and it's it was definitely worth us doing much more at. At the moment, we only send about one or two people to that to cover for us, and they're usually freelancers. I think my my vision for it would be to send a couple of people, maybe staffers, out there. to to get early news and get reviews and well not so much reviews but early news about superhero projects that are coming up, I just I think it's unavoidable, you can't stop talking about that stuff, South by Southwest is really impressive in terms of what they've managed to dig up over the last few years for, for films that went on to do really well and Toronto is steadily climbing as one that people uh, that fil- that produces films that people will definitely go and see or win- tends to win Oscars. You know, there's lots of films like The King's Speech that won the People's Choice Award there and then went on to win the best picture Oscar. So I mean each of these festivals has their place and they have different audiences, but in terms of newsworthy stuff for us, they're all very important. Yeah. So the, the big ones that you just mentioned at like Toronto,
0: mm. like it's got a very distinct not just identity but also function, as you say, like the one the films that premiere on Toronto Toronto, sorry, uh, often go on to win big awards. Mm. Like, What do you think, what's the London Film Festival going go home for itself? How would you say what's unique about it? Is there something globally, or is it just a kind of...
1: On a global scale, the London Film Festival probably isn't as impressive as, say, a Venice or as a Toronto, but is it its place to be? I'm not sure it is. I think the London Film Festival serves a British audience incredibly well. I think they do a great job of picking up titles that have played well at other festivals and they're also really good at showcasing films that might not get such a big play at those other festivals like I think Catch Me Daddy which was out a couple of weeks ago yeah. was a <coughs> London Film Festival feature film and it's great you know it's not the kind of film that's going to set the world alight but it is an important British new British filmmaker making their mark and London did everything they could to support that film and to get it out yeah. to a wider public and it's worked because the Guardian's talking about it so talking sure. about it it's out there in the world you know so London's role for me, I see it as to be a champion for the smaller films, but they need those larger flagship gala titles yeah. to get people in the door, basically. It's interesting though. I, mean, I was looking back at the
0: gala titles from this year or last year, and you know it was like The Imitation Game, Whiplash, yeah. uh, Fury, Men, Women and Children, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, Testament of Youth. All these films were popular. Yeah. Really popular. Yeah.
1: Apart from maybe Memory and Children, but I saw that you liked that. <laughs> I, I was probably a little generous to it in terms of the time, To be honest. It's not a good film that well, I could have missed it. But.
0: Yeah. All right, so the Oscars, I've got to talk about it, because it was fairly recent. Yeah. Um, what's your personal view on the Oscars, and what's your professional view on the Oscars? Oh. Because um, for the first year, in maybe five years, I went to The Roxy down in yeah. London Bridge, and watched it live. Um, and my Twitter feed was pretty quiet, I thought. I mm. don't know if anyone really cared about it the same way I did. But, yeah, what's your...
1: Well, what was that stat? It was something like 13.6... Perc- no, sorry, 36 point something percent down on Twitter. Like, people basically weren't talking about it, right. talking about it on Twitter. And that's a figure that hadn't been rivaled since 2008 or something.
0: So well, well, is. is that the quality of the films? The, <sighs> the kind of supposed stagnancy
1: of the quote-unquote race? What's your... Um, look at the Globes look at how they've managed to capture the TV audience and crucially have presenters that don't take it too seriously <laughs> take piss too. out the whole idea of an award ceremony or a little bit for one of term, meta about the whole thing um, poor old Neil Patrick Harris I think he did a fantastic job yes, and I think, I, I think he, people were quite cruel to him and I just think whatever it is the script writers the producers whatever they just don't understand how the younger audience or the internet audience is watching yeah. a TV show like that do you think it still has a like a relevancy? Does an Oscar film have the same gravitas as it once did? I don't. I mean, there is a big thing about the Oscars and gravitas. I don't think there's anything that grants gravitas <laughs> about the Oscars. I mean, have you seen them? They're just they oh they're just a gaudy spectacle, aren't they? But that's why I love it. That's why I love that kind of. It's so not cam- even whole, oh, exactly. It's not even old school Hollywood glamour anymore. It's just some sort of cheap. Knock off version of what glamour used to be back in the day. It's was um, funny. The person I was watching it with, we were, we were, we were laughing at it because it's so clean
0: now. Like, yeah. all the crowds are so clean. Like, it used to be like there'd be booze and cocaine flying everywhere. Yeah. Now they're just like, they're like a Wimbledon crowd, just like quietly yeah. applauding
1: and <laughs> nodding along to jokes they don't really understand because they haven't probably haven't seen half the films. Yeah. So. I don't know, but it's you've got that weird thing where it's completely unaware of itself, but then tries to be aware at the same time. Like there was a joke where they had Benedict Cumberbatch swinging from a hip flask and then go away. (laughs) Yeah, and he's basically acting the part of like Mm. I don't know, like a Rock Hudson or somebody back in the day. You know, it is a bit Mm. awkward, and it's this thing of not really understanding who or what you are to your audience anymore. And but there's something fascinating about that, and that's why I watch it because of those slightly car crashy elements to it. I think it is definitely a car crash. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the films that they they champion, I, I'm convinced it's just getting more and more predictable. Like, Birdman, in hindsight, was the film that was always going to win that award, right? Yeah. It's about Hollywood. It's about actors. Oh. It's about directors being artists. It's about the struggle to produce your art when everything is against you. And, you know, why wouldn't the Hollywood industry look at that and go, oh, yeah, our life is tough. <laughs> Let's give ourselves an award. I wonder if they ever <laughs> introduced
0: a kind of public choice... People's Choice Award. Whether yeah. it would just kind of make the rest of their awards seem so dif- like redundant, yeah. maybe if yeah. they just had one element of kind of populist, you know, online voting or whatever, it would make voting for Birdman seem ridiculous. Yeah. Even
1: though I like Birdman, you know. Yeah. Well, the Divergent series is finally going to get its Oscar win. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my god! Imagine <laughs> that. One of the things I probably should have mentioned um, about half an hour ago now is that you do a weekly Guardian film show mm. video cast.
1: Yeah. What? Um, so what's? what's, what's talk us about that. So the film show is our kind of mucky pup of video. Uh, what is it? It's, <laughs> it's a review show where we we show clips of the films that are out in the coming week. We give a brief kind of review and a brief talk about the issues around those films, and then often have interviews with the stars and directors. And it's very traditional format. It's. Gr- but you say that,
0: but it's very it's very traditional because it's just three of you often sat around a couch. Yeah. But it's very informal, but it can get quite heated as well. It can get quite heated. Which I like a lot. Yeah. I
1: mean, what what we've realised is that it takes a while for print journalists particularly to get comfortable being on camera, and it takes even longer for those print journalists to start feeling happy having a go at each other. Yeah. And if you look at people like Siskel and Ebert, it took them a good couple of years before they could even look each other in the (laughs) eye, let alone start to have an interesting debate about film. So I, I think we're getting there, and we have got a very dedicated, I would say a niche audience... But they're a great audience. They're an audience that is stood by us, that tweet about the show, that respond to comments, that love it and ask about it when it's not on. And So the film show for me is a a real labour of love and I I think it's a a great thing for us to be doing. I'm just interested in how we can change it a little bit to make it a bit more responsive. But I worry that that might just be the medium we're working in, that video is something you tend to present to people and you can't really take much of the feedback into consideration after that.
0: How would you say that you make it your own? Uh, is there something that you do consciously that is like, well, what, we're going to present this
1: information in this particular way, or we're going to have this kind of discussion or this kind of... Yeah, it's, present- uh, it's not presenter-led, it, it's, it's critic-led. So I mean, Peter Bradshaw is essentially the voice of the film showing that people want to see him on camera, they want to see what he's got to, to say. Catherine Shored, again, is really popular because she's very good at at bursting Peter's bubble a little bit (laughs) and calling him on things. You know, (laughs) there's a dynamic between them that works very well. Um, Sam Brooks, who's actually coming back to host the podcast in April, uh, host the video in April, um, is excellent at channeling the the flow between the two of them, making sure it's not too one sided. And then on the editing side, I'm very keen to make it click along so that when people are watching it online, particularly, it's not too much of drag, not too much repetition just respecting people's time on the internet, which is a really important thing to do. So while it is a traditional format, I hope we are taking the medium that we're working in into account and the the distribution platform into account and that people can probably watch it on their phone for 20 minutes and get away with it on a commute and it's still enjoyable. And we do the podcast version as well, so if you want to just listen to it, you can do that.
0: But how would you say it differs from something if you, say if it was gonna be picked up and put on television? Yeah. How would you change it? <laughs> yeah. Would you change it? Like, how, how, how is it? Like, uh, it, it, does, it does feel very online-only. I don't know, quite know how to yeah. kind of explain that. I but mean, the format
1: isn't radically different from something like Film 2050. It's It's really not. It's just critics talking about movies. Um, I think the, the one thing we did is we clip out the different video reviews so that if you want to watch just one of them, you can. Yeah. So you know, simple stuff like that. I don't know what we'd do if it went on telly. I think it would be a disaster. But <laughs> you know, there's way too many standards to be held up to. We'd have to shave, wash, right. you know, That's iron shirts, etc. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, and also with a lot of journalism, I think there is a value in recognizing when your audience is not exactly saturated, but when you have a small audience that is dedicated to it, and that is your audience, right? You know, like unrestricted growth doesn't work for everything. And I think we have an audience that hopefully could get a little bigger, but they are loyal they're there they might be in their limited numbers but they're always behind us and we, we really appreciate them watching so a final comment, com- question or conversation I wanted to ask you about kind of
0: young people again I suppose mm-hmm. not just young people actually, that's, that's I want to know me. who these I young know. people are <laughs> <on> <laughs> <me>. <laughs> uh, I suppose what I'm talking about is people who are amateur film critics mm-hmm. people who want to write people who want to do podcasts people who want to make videos people who want to Talk about film in in an interesting way. I keep wanting to say the word academic, but I don't mean it really. I mean (laughs) it in a thoughtful way. Yeah. Right? So what kind of advice would you give to people? As also how people want to make money out of it. Yeah. Because obviously people want to turn it into a career. Yeah. Right? Do you have any advice for people who want to either write for The Guardian or would want to write for traditional news or kind of magazines or people who are creating stuff online? Mm -hmm. What's you kind of general advice for the kind of young people?
1: I think for people or who want to write <laughs> um, I think for people who want to write for The Guardian or work for The Guardian or do freelance stuff for us, you need to email me at henry.barnes at theguardian.com. Send me pitch ideas for what you're interested in and I'll try and read as many as I can and get back to you with feedback. Um, in terms of being a freelancer starting out in the industry, I can't say anything but it's incredibly, incredibly tough. And you're gonna be working on your own You're probably gonna have to set up your own blog or video series or podcast series first and then get bought up by somebody like The Guardian to come and work for us. It's gone are the days when you could (coughs) present your things to The Guardian and then we'd hire you as a staff writer on The Guardian. Those positions are so rare now and barely exist anywhere anymore. Um, so I would say the boring cliches of persistence and hard work and consistency. I mean, consistency is a real key one, and it's one that people forget. If you've got a podcast series or a video series, and it's out every afternoon on a Friday on a Friday afternoon weekly, you have to keep putting it out at that time because uh, people are expecting it and it's, and people are looking out for it. So keep consistency in mind. Um, what else? Oh God, good God help you. <laughs> good luck. <laughs>
0: well, well, more specifically, how do you think? Do you have any advice people who are trying to get, like, access to festivals yeah. or distributors to send them films? I'm sort of talking about myself here. Yeah, I yeah, I know I've got a couple of insiders, but not... I mean, I'm, I'm always interested in kind of getting more access to films so yeah. that I can... Because I want to promote good films, obviously. Of course. Like, something like, you mentioned Transformers earlier on. You I know, mean, these films don't need any more promotion from, like, online writers, really. Yeah. But kind of like the more interesting films, like Catch Me Daddies or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be great to kind of get access to these films to, to help them get yeah coverage. So, like, do you have any advice about that? Yeah, I mean, the
1: great thing about that is that your goal is the same as the distributors or PR companies that are working on those films, right? That you want to give them a bit more oxygen. You want people out there to see them. Um, companies like Dogworth, which uh, distribute documentary film online and, and in cinemas are fantastic at talking to smaller bloggers and talk and giving them clips or giving them access to early screenings, even giving them screeners. So these people are out there and you just have to communicate with them basically. Like most distributors are going to turn to even the smallest of bloggers and say, yeah we're happy for you to have a look at this or to come to an event that we're doing because they want the publicity and there's no such thing as too small an audience for the film that you're getting You know, all adds up to an audience coming to see your movie. So don't be shy of emailing distributors emailing PR companies, even emailing studios and asking for access that you probably don't expect you can get. You might as well try and if I think they're missing a trick, frankly, if they don't use you, because you're an advertising platform for them, yeah. essentially.
0: What about festivals? Access to like, festivals?
1: Yeah, it's trickier because festivals have a limited capacity, so you know, they have to gauge who they're going to let into what at certain times. Again, persistence, if you keep talking to people at London Film Festival and you can show that you've got a consistent record of covering the type of films that they'd be interested in showing, then they're more likely to let you have a press pass, for example, for certain events. Uh, once you get into the habit of emailing PR companies, they'll get into the habit of hearing from you and then they'll know who you are, they'll trust your reputation a bit more. It's just getting in touch with them and keeping it going a bit longer. And and crucially showing that what you're doing is useful for them, which means going to a screening, writing the review, putting it on your website. So many people tend to get freebies and just see that as the end of the road and if you want to work professionally in the industry there's no other way to kill your career quicker than just take the freebie and run so yeah, sure. yeah you know, and also personal pride right and also you enjoy watching and writing about movies so why wouldn't you do it yeah and get out there and do it it's fun
0: some great advice there from the delightful henry barnes advice that i should really take myself the guardian film show is online at the guardian every week and is a great litmus test for the week's releases I'm also going to upload some more reviews myself at crispysharp.co.uk later this afternoon so keep checking back for regular content updates. Otherwise, make the best of the glorious spring sunshine and head straight indoors to a cinema near you.